Good morning. It's a blessing to hear you fellowshipping with each other. But it's time for us to begin our time of worship, so I invite you to stand as we sing to the Lord, crown him Lord of all.
Wow, what a great way to begin the service. Welcome. So glad you're here. It's good to see some of our summer missionaries returning, so uh, we welcome you back. For those of you who are with us for the first time, we're delighted that you're here. There is a visitor's card in the pew rack in front of you, and if you would take a moment and fill that out, we would appreciate that greatly. If you visited before and have never filled one out, today might be a day to do that, and so we welcome you. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Kennedy. He and uh, his wife are taking a few days of vacation, and so he contacted me to see if I would fill in for him. I don't know that it's possible to fill in for him, but I will do my best this morning. We greet you, and we're here to worship, and that's our purpose. Listen to what the psalmist says about our gathering together. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. That's what we're here to do this morning. And in this next hymn, we get to sing about the wonderful grace of Jesus. Greater than the scope of my transgression, greater than all my sins. Oh, 
Good morning. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the fact that my life is written down in the book of life. It's a free gift from you. And the songs that we just heard are uplifting. You are the ones, you are the one who lifts our hearts up. And Lord, we pray that in this service that you would receive our worship and lift up the glory to you, Fathers. And Lord Jesus, we just thank you for all that you provide. And just ask that, again, Lord, that we would hear your words, not only hear them, but listen to them, and it would touch our hearts. And Lord, we're just thankful for all that you provide for us. And Father, again, I just thank you for all, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that is greater than all our sin.
that's a new course for some of you, I can tell. I'd like us to do that again as we focus on the truths. Forgiven, I've been forgiven. Forgiven, I've been
And all God's people said, Amen. You'll see that the scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 26, beginning with verse 31 through 35, and then moving down to verses 69 through 75. You'll recognize the setting. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you all will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Moving over to verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them because your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. May the Lord use this passage of scripture to speak to us at the point of our need. Over the past several months, I have become increasingly disturbed by the reports of the heightened level of prejudice being exercised towards so many in our country, towards those whose skin is a different color than mine, towards those who have differing political views or hold opposing views regarding controversial issues, also towards those whose sexual orientation is different than ours. And then that prejudice gets expressed in violent and hateful ways, through mass shootings, murders, discriminatory actions, vile language, name calling, on and on we could go. Yet, my understanding of the teaching of the scripture is that each of those individuals, regardless of their differences, is a child of God, is one created in his image, one for whom Christ died and one whom he loves and values. 
as I reflected on that this week in preparation for this time in the service, I wanted some way or another to try to address that in this pastoral prayer time. And I was struggling to put the words together to be able to do that until I received a text from our son who shared a prayer which he said he was trying to use as a way of living his life. And as I read the prayer, I thought, that's it, that's it. If every Christian would pray and live out this prayer with family and friends and neighbors, we as believers could proactively make a positive difference in the level of prejudice and hate and discrimination in our world. The prayer you may recognize is an update of the one prayed by St. Francis. So, as I pray this prayer in a few moments, I ask that you listen closely to the words and you let this become the prayer by which you would live your life. For me, this is a way of seeking to become salt and light as Jesus asked us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Will you pray with me? Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen.
Thank you, Choir. Beautiful. Are you a failure? Don't answer that. <laughs> or let me ask it another way. Have you done some things in your life or had some experiences for which you have regrets? Things that continue to haunt you from time to time? Or are there events that have left an indelible mark upon the way in which you view yourself? Perhaps occurrences that have negatively impacted your relationship with God and that may currently stand in the way of your living out your faith day by day. Well, if any of what I have just described fits you, then I want you to pay particular attention to the individual that is the focus of this morning's sermon. If I were to ask you whom you would identify as the most notable of the 12 disciples, who would you name? Some might name Judas because of his betrayal of Jesus. Some might think about Thomas because of his association with doubt. But I suspect most of us would name Simon Peter because he's viewed as the unofficial spokesman for the group and because of how frequently his name appears in the gospel accounts. He was one of the first disciples Jesus called. In fact, Jesus evidently saw great potential in him right from the very beginning because according to John's call, account of the call, he immediately changed his name to Cephas, which translated means Peter, and which is interpreted to mean rock. The gospel accounts give many incidents that contribute to Peter being the most notable of the 12. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle, part of the big three, so to speak. Peter, James, and John. And Peter's name always appears first. They were the three that were present at the transfiguration. They were the three that went with Jesus into the garden on the night that he prayed prior to his crucifixion. Still further, Peter's characteristics of being brash and impulsive and one who intended to speak first and think later also contributed to him being so memorable. When Jesus foretold of his upcoming death, who was it that took Jesus aside and said, never Lord, no, this will never happen to you. To which Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. When Jesus came walking on the water that night to the disciples, who was it that said, Lord, if that's really you out there, bid me to come to you on the water? Jesus said, come. What did Peter do? He got out of the boat and he walked on the water until he realized what was going on. <laughs> when Jesus asked the question, who do you, those disciples, say that I am? It was Peter, without hesitation, that spoke up and said, you are the Christ of God. In other words, you are the Messiah. And who resisted the idea of having his feet washed because he believed that was beneath Jesus whom he was treating as a rabbi. And who drew his sword and used it to cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant, when the authorities came to resist, to arrest Jesus. Brash, impulsive, speaking before thinking. I think those are good words to describe Peter. So it's not surprising that on the night of the Last Supper, 
After Jesus told his disciples that all of them would fall away later that evening, that Peter would be the one to protest. And he says, if all the others fall away, I will not do that. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And while the scriptures say all the other disciples said the same thing, Peter was the one verbalizing his personal conviction. Well, we all know what happened after that. Jesus was arrested and placed before Caiaphas, the high priest. And while the other disciples did in fact flee, Peter, to his credit, followed and somehow gained access to the courtyard where Jesus was being held. <clears throat> Excuse me. His love for Jesus, his loyalty to Jesus, compelled him to be there. In many ways, his being there was an act of courage. He was trying to be faithful to the boast he had made. But then it all unraveled. Once, twice, three times, he was recognized as being associated with Jesus. And once, twice, three times, he denied that he even knew Jesus, calling down curses on himself if he was not telling the truth. And then as recorded in Luke's gospel, the rooster crowed. At that very moment, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And in that instant, Peter was overwhelmed with the sense of guilt and shame of what he had just done. Jesus never spoke a word, but his look was as convicting as any word which Jesus might have said. And the scripture says that immediately after that, Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. And that word can also be translated violently. Does that give you a picture of the grief that he must have been experiencing? Imagine what Peter's life was like mentally and emotionally after that night, especially as the events of the next 24 hours unfolded. Here he was, the unofficial spokesman for the group, and he had denied even knowing Jesus. He'd accompanied Jesus for those three years, observing the miracles, listening to Jesus' teaching, engaging in private conversations with him, being a part of Jesus' inner circle. And what had he just done? Can you imagine the guilt, the shame, the agony, the embarrassment, personal devastation he must have felt. Further, can't you imagine how he began to think, what are people going to say about me once they hear what I have done? Well, let's pause a moment in our reflection on Peter and let me ask you if you can in any way identify with Peter and his failures. He had failed. He'd failed himself. He'd failed his Lord. He had failed those who looked up to him as their leader. He had bragged about what he would do and he had failed to live up to that commitment. How must he have viewed and felt about himself? 
in my work with others, I've encountered many who have had times in which they also experienced a sense of failure. I wonder if you are among that group. Perhaps you experienced a sense of call to some type of Christian ministry earlier in your life and you never took any steps to pursue it. Maybe your marriage failed and you went through a divorce or you had a spouse leave you for another person. Perhaps you feel guilty for engaging in premarital sex or conceiving a child out of wedlock. Perhaps there is an abortion in your past or your family's past. Maybe sometime in your past you did some things that was a violation of the life principles by which you have tried to live and you continue to chastise yourself because of that. Maybe you were sexually abused as a child or as a teenager or young adult and you've carried the stigma of that all these years unable to shake the memory and the effects of that experience. Perhaps you have an addiction of some kind with which you struggle. Or maybe there are some unresolved relational issues with a child, a parent, a sibling, or some other relative or friend. Listen, regardless of what that particular experience was or regardless of what that issue was, you feel a sense of guilt and you feel a sense of embarrassment and a sense of shame and disappointment, perhaps even self-loathing as a result of that. And even though you may know in your head that you are forgiven, it's hard to get that sense of forgiveness down to your heart. There's a sense that you feel defective and somehow or other really unacceptable to God. And while no one, no one may know about any of these thoughts or feelings or experiences, nevertheless, they impact the way you see yourself, especially the way you believe that God sees you and how that affects your relationship with him. You're like some of those individuals who have said to me, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. And you perceive that God must feel the same way. If any of this connects with you and who you are and where you are emotionally and spiritually, then I want you to hear the word of hope in Peter's story. Given what Peter did, given what Jesus predicted he would do, given how most of us would feel and respond if we had been betrayed in the way in which Jesus was betrayed, I want you to look at what Jesus did in response to that. On resurrection morning, the women went to the tomb. They were met there by an angel, and the angel gave them the message that Jesus was risen. And then he said, go tell his disciples and Peter, go tell Peter, go tell the one who had betrayed him. And then when those who traveled the road to Emmaus that day came back to Jerusalem to tell about their experience with the risen Lord, they were met with the message, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. There it is again. There it is again. Wonder if Jesus and Peter had a little one-on-one -on -one session sometime earlier in the day. 
Do you grasp the significance of Jesus seeking out Peter and what he had done? And then finally, there is the breakfast meeting there on the seashore. Peter decided to go fishing, and six of the other disciples went with him. And while they'd fished all night, hadn't caught a thing. And then a stranger on the shore said to them, try the other side of the boat. And you know the story. They got so many fish they couldn't get it all in the boat. John recognized that the stranger was Jesus, and he told Peter, an impetuous Peter, he jumped out of the boat and somehow or other got to shore because he had to get there before everybody else did. He had to get with Jesus. Well, Jesus had breakfast prepared for them. And as they were sitting around visiting, Jesus asked the question that surely Peter had been dreading that Jesus would ask. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Wow. What a question. And not privately alone, just Jesus and Peter, right there in the midst of all those other disciples. <laughs> Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times, Jesus asked that same question in some type of form. Interesting, don't you think? Same number of times Jesus had denied him. Three times, Jesus answered in the affirmative or Peter answered in the affirmative. And after each affirmative answer, Jesus gave him a job to do. Feed and care for my sheep, he said. So here is this one who had publicly betrayed Jesus, being sought out by Jesus, being treated as though he, it had never happened. And instead he's given a task to do in carrying on the ministry that Jesus had begun. William Barclay writes, Peter had wronged Jesus and then had wept his heart out. And the one desire of this amazing Jesus was to comfort him in the pain of his disloyalty. Love can go no further than to think more of the heartbreak of the person who wronged it than of the hurt that it has itself received. What a moving description of Jesus and his response to his children after they have failed him in some way. Years ago, I attended a pastor's conference hosted by William Jewell Baptist College in Liberty, Missouri. The guest preacher was a black pastor from the Los Angeles area. I've always admired black preachers who seem to have an, an innate ability to create word pictures that are quite memorable and that convey a message that you can take home with you. So here I am 40 years later remembering what that black pastor said. He told of a man who had a dream related to the guilt he was experiencing for his past sins and failures. And in that dream, the man met an angel who had a large tablet on a stand and on that tablet, a number of things were written. The angel asked the man if he recognized anything about what was written on the tablet. And of course, the man had no alternative but to acknowledge that those were the sins, failures, and shortcomings he had committed through the years and for which he was experiencing embarrassment and shame and guilt. The angel pointed at the first item and said, tell me about this. 
And the man did so, confessing his wrong and expressing his sorrow for having done it. Then the angel said, let's see if we can take care of that. And with that, he picked up a piece of cloth and he wiped it across that item. And lo and behold, it totally disappeared. Well, again, the angel said, okay, let's, let's look at the next item. And again, the man acknowledged his wrong and insisted that he knew at the time that it was not the right thing to do and he re had regretted doing it since that day. Well, again, the angel suggested that they deal with it and once more he picked up that cloth and he wiped it across <coughs> and it totally disappeared. And so it went, item by item by item until the tablet was clean and white and as though it had never been written upon. At that point, the man could contain his curiosity no longer. And he said, what is that that you've wiped across each of those items? And the angel replied, that is the eradicator of God's grace, made possible by Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It erases not only the event, but all the contamination that was a part of it. And if you look up the word eradicate, it means to do away with as if by pulling up by the roots. The eradicator of God's grace. What a beautiful picture. Now, can it take you back to that question with which I began this morning? Are you a failure? And the answer I would give is no. No, you're not a failure. Even though you may feel like one at times, indeed you may have failed. But that does not make you a failure. You're still a child of God. You're still loved by Him. And God still wants a personal and intimate relationship with you, just like Jesus wanted with Peter. And the guilt and the weight of those things that I enumerated earlier that you may be carrying around like an overstuffed backpack that you can never lay down? Listen, the eradicator of God's grace will remove each one. If you've confessed it and asked for forgiveness, you're forgiven. Allow the eradicator of God's grace to remove all the remnants of those actions along with the guilt and the shame and the regret you may carry around with you. Do you remember that wonderful passage from Romans 8.1? Therefore, there is no condemnation. Again, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Peter experienced firsthand the eradicator of God's grace. There on the seashore, he was restored in his relationship with Christ and was given a new mission. In fact, Jesus told him this mission would cost him his life, which in reality it did. But in true Peter fashion, he looked around and saw John standing there and said, well, what about him? And Jesus said, that's none of your concern. Follow me. If the eradicator of God's grace 
and to deal with a betrayal like Peter's. Then it can deal with any wrong, any burden, any shortcoming, any life event that you may be experiencing for which you may be experiencing a sense of guilt and failure. The eradicator of God's grace can remove anything that you've been carrying or that's been standing in the way of your relationship with God and experiencing the fullness of life that he intends. And if, if you believe because of your past life that you could never be accepted into God's presence, Peter's experience and the eradicator of God's grace made available through Jesus Christ says otherwise. So my plea for you this morning is to allow Peter's experience to be a model for you. Ask God to use the eradicator of his grace to remove all the traces of sins, failures, and shortcomings that may have been a part of your life. And then ask him to help you to move ahead with the mission that he has for you. Let Jesus' words to Peter be the words that you hear this morning as he says, follow me, follow me. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by your love and your grace. We've sung about it this morning. We've read about it. We've seen it in Peter's life. And for most of us, we've experienced it personally. Thank you. Use what our worship experience has been about this morning to cause us to go forward, to go out, to live life as you intend for us to live it in the fullness of your presence with him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is our time of invitation, a time of response. I have no idea how God's Spirit may be dealing with you. If you need to come and share with me anything, I'll be down at the front. If you want to come and become a part of this church fellowship, we'd invite you to do that. Perhaps you're that one that um, Never thought you would be acceptable in God's sight, and maybe today you've realized that's not the case and you'd like to allow him to become a part of your life. If that's the case, then come, and I'll be here at the front as we conclude our service by singing this hymn of invitation.
may be seated. God always uses Dr. Horniker to speak to us, convicts us. <laughs> Excuse me. But thank you for sharing what he laid on your heart. The beautiful flowers on the altar table today are provided in honor and celebration of Forrest and Jean Goff, who yesterday celebrated 74 years of marriage. Would you stand? And I know you will want to congratulate them, so after we pray in a few minutes, if you would scurry over and do that, I know they would appreciate it. Thank you for your godly example. In the bulletin are a couple of inserts I'd like to draw some attention to. The first one is the small group topical studies. This insert has been in your bulletin now for the past three weeks. Those small group topical studies begin a week from Wednesday at 4 o'clock. They start on Wednesday, September 13th. And you'll see the four topics that are going to be studied. The first one, the Baptist Faith and Message, What We Believe, Dr. Kennedy will be facilitating that. Tell someone, sharing the good news. If you feel uncomfortable and unequipped to be able to share with another person, evangelism, that's what that topic is going to be about, and Reverend Steve Murray will be leading it. Discovery who we are and what we do, that's for new members or existing members or those who've been attending our church but have not yet joined. And then the fourth one, it's not supposed to be this way. You'll notice it's in red, ladies only. And that will be led by Sherry Kerr. But I encourage you to sign up in either of the lobbies this morning if you haven't already done so for one of those four topical studies. Also, an insert is for our Arizona mission offering. And this coming Wednesday at 4 o'clock, Hopefully you are planning to come for our end of summer picnic potluck that will be at four and then Dr. David Johnson, who is our executive director, will be speaking to us about how the state mission offering can assist in various areas of need. Thank you for being here today. Let me remind you that the office is closed tomorrow, but if you have a need, you have my phone number in the directory and then Dr. Kennedy and the other members of the staff will be back in our office on Tuesday, opening at 8. Would you stand, please, as we get ready for our closing prayer, which will be led by Tom Northrup, one of our Bible study teachers. Have a great weekend. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for an excellent service. Thank you for Dr. Hornecker's preaching that spoke to our hearts. It certainly spoke to my heart. And I want to lift up our church that we'd always be able to stand for the truth. That we'd have the courage to stand in troubled times for your word. And I want to lift up our nation as well and the various problems that we're facing. And also our world that seems to be so troubled conflicted seems to be so much danger but remind us that you are always in control not even a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from your permission all things work out for your glory and for our good go with us now 
as we go our separate ways and protect us, watch over us, and bring us back together again next Sunday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.